there. Welcome to the Author's Way podcast. My name is Jennifer Wright. I'm your podcast host. So once again, this month, we we met at the Bucket Club in Atlanta, and we held our Meet the Author event. And so this podcast is a product of that. So if you're not familiar with that event, once a month, we, we meet at the Bucket Club. We bring in an author, typically a local author to Atlanta. Um, and a member of the Buckhead Club, um, you know, not every author we bring in is a member. So I think you'll be seeing some coming up that are um, kind of outside of the club. And we talk about the book and we talk about really the same kind of things that we talk on our talk about on our other podcast. The difference is we, we do it in front of an audience. So we we have other people who have an opportunity to to ask questions or engage in the conversation, which makes it a, a, a really interesting event. So this month we had Kwame Johnson. He is the CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Atlanta. He shared his story from, you know, coming, growing up in Syracuse, um, in, you know, in some really tough circumstances. He ended up in prison at one point. He worked his way out of there, finished high school, went to went to college, and moved into a lot of nonprofit work. And that's what he does today. is He is he's a mentor. He helps. Um, they call them littles, so little brothers, little sisters, to get mentors through the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. So take a look at the show notes, and you'll have information about how to get in touch with in touch with that organization if you'd like to help. Right now in Metro Atlanta alone, we have a backlog or a wait list of about 300 big brothers, uh, little brothers and little sisters who are looking for mentors. So um, there's a need. And if you're not in Atlanta, there are, this is a nationwide organization. So, so head over to the Big Brothers Big Sisters site and find your local chapter. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I really enjoyed having the conversation with Kwame. And, you know, it, I learned a lot. And, you know, he really shared a lot of his insights. So so enjoy. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast. Um, there's an offer for you at the end that, that you might be interested in. And, you know, I'll just share a little bit more about that then. Enjoy. Thank you. Hey there, my name is Jennifer Wright and welcome to the Author's Way podcast, the journey to the journey to finding your voice. I lost it there for just a second. So I am here today with Kwame Johnson. He is the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Metro Atlanta and a recent author. His book actually came out last year. The name of it is The Hope Inside, Harnessing the Power of Mentorship in Life and Career. And we're going to talk about his book today, and we're going to talk about a little bit about the process that he went through in writing his book. And he's got a fascinating story, so I'm I'm really interested in sharing some of that with you. We won't share it all because you have to buy the book to to get all of the story. So, welcome, Kwame. Good to see you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, I, I know I told what you do, but tell us, you know, a little bit more about who you are. Yeah, so first, I just want to thank everybody for mm -hmm. coming out. Uh, I've got a lot of my good friends in the room, and um, it's very special just to talk about the whole process of, of writing the book. And I, I, hopefully everyone will at some point think about writing a book. I see a lot of women write books, particularly Black women. The Black guys, we don't write books, right? And, you know, we all have a story to tell in some kind of way, and we all have something to teach people, right? So at a basic minimum, I think we all should write at least one one book. And the reason I say that is a few things. One is, it's validation, right? Especially for, for, for a black guy with a bald head, we sometimes need a little bit of validation, right? You know, um, but it's validation. Anybody you see being interviewed on TV, they typically got a book along with them and they're a thought leader in some space. The second thing is that it's literally the best business card that you'll ever have. You know, it takes dollars to print a book. Anytime I meet with someone, I, I give them a bag. Right, so it's the best business card you'll ever have, and the third thing is legacy. Right, it will this this will never go away, regardless if I'm here or not. This book will always be a part of the, the world. So it's definitely legacy. Um, 
you know, I could tell you, I could take a long time to tell you my whole story, right? But I'll, 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 what I'll say is that I consider myself a social entrepreneur. And what that means is I've been trying to solve poverty for my whole entire adult life. And in my opinion, poverty is the biggest issue we face as a country, right? Because so many other bad things come out of it. And if, you know, you all want to debate me on that, it's, it's a great conversation we could have. But you could think it's racism, you could think it's homelessness, you could think it's a lot of different things. But literally, the biggest problem we face in this country is poverty and the things that come out of poverty. And in Atlanta, you may not know if you're born in poverty, you have a 10% chance to make it out. And how is that possible in a city as great as Atlanta, right? I'm from a place called Syracuse, New York. There may be some New Yorkers in the room who don't count Syracuse, but it, it is uh, definitely, <laughs> it's not Canada, uh, it, is, it is New York. Exactly, right. And Syracuse is part of the whole Rust Belt, you know, part of the country, right? Uh, a city that has no, not a lot of opportunities. And where I, when I was growing up, a lot of the jobs left in the early 90s. Chrysler left, GM left, and it really devastated the community. And it turned into a place that was not really a fun place to grow up. And my parents moved there to really find a better life after college. My mom was from Cleveland. My father was from the main streets of New York. And they made it, met in college and decided to you know, settle in Syracuse, New York to create a better life for themselves. But Syracuse over time really became a place that was plagued with violence, drugs. And as a teenager, I had to navigate that life. And I started to fall into that life in a big way. And at the age of 17, I found myself facing over 20 years in prison for making some bad decisions, right? But I had mentors who poured into my life. A lot of people who kind of rooted for me, didn't give up on me. And I was able to make it out of that situation and, and create a, a nice lane for myself. When I was in jail, I met some young men who changed my life forever. And I don't have enough time to tell you all their stories, but these are young men who were dealt a bad hand in life, right? I had both my parents. I was just enough of making bad decisions. I didn't have to do what I was doing. But many of them didn't have their parents in their lives. Many of them were in really tough situations. But I will tell you, all of them believed in me when they didn't believe in themselves, right? So when I speak, I tell people, I said, listen, you're looking at the criminal justice system. This guy sitting up here in this nice suit with this vest on that is tight because I ate too much today. <laughs> you're looking at the criminal justice system. So the next time you turn on the news, and you hear about some of the things going on in this world, in this country, especially for young black boys, I want you to think about me. Because I'm no different than those young men. I just had people pouring into my life to help me get to where I am today. So I decided to write this book to tell not only my story, but their stories. And my whole career has been dedicated to try to help young people not make the same decisions I made, in particular young men. But it is so hard. Once you touch the criminal justice system, it is so hard to make it out. And I'm just blessed and lucky to be here, sitting here in this nice suit, having a nice cocktail uh, with my friends talking about the book I wrote. I um, I read your book and it's such a fascinating story. I really, I really enjoyed reading the book. I really enjoyed seeing the path that you took from, you know, tough situations into better situations. And, and you really talk a lot about the people that, that, influenced you and, and and then there were there's in, good influence and there's bad influence yeah. so you know there you you experience both of those um so I really do highly recommend the book it's a it it's a wonderful read and um I would even recommend it to people who have kids and um you know people who, who are younger that are coming up in their careers um what made you decide to write the book now so I actually tried to write a book 10 years ago, and I did a book proposal. Uh, when you write a book, you write a proposal, and then you typically send it out to all the big publishing houses, right? And there's a few big publishing houses. Or you can self-publish and do it mm -hmm. your way, but I wanted to get it on a main platform. So 10 years ago, I remember I wrote my book proposal, had it all tight, nice and written up, and I sent it to all the big publishing houses, and nobody picked it up. I had one publishing house call me. And he said, we want to do your book, but we want to just feature your case and you going to jail and all this different stuff, right? So they wanted to focus primarily on the negative part of my life, which actually I think was a positive. It happened for a reason. Now, you know, I want to tell my whole story. 
right? So just put the proposal down, didn't really revisit it for a long time. And then I got connected with a guy here named Q Parker. So Q Parker, uh, for those who know the band 112, uh, Cupid, you know, back in the day, you know, and Q uh, was doing some work in the communities from Atlanta. And we started doing some work in particular with young boys and also men. And I told him my uh, idea to write a book. And he connected me to a publishing house. Nice. What's interesting about Q is when I was in jail, I spent some time in solitary confinement, right? And you hear about jail, but solitary confinement is a whole nother thing. I'm talking about 23 hours a day in a jail cell, right? And it, it's tough, particularly on a young person, right? It's tough on your mind, right? That's really, it's a really tough situation. So when I was in solitary, I wrote my parents a letter and I said, hey, listen, can y'all send me some music? So that, at that time there were CDs, this was back in the day, right? So they mailed me Jay-Z's first album, uh, Big Pun's first album, Capone Noriega, and the 112 album. So the, the, the CDs arrive at the jail and they confiscate all the CDs except for the 112 album, right? Uh, so, because <laughs> they thought everything else was too vulgar. So, I kid you not, we listened to that album <laughs> so much. We listened to it in school, we listened to it at night when we were in the cell. And, you know, fast forward, you know, many years later, I meet Q. Nice. And I tell him that nice. story, right? And I tell him how his music helped me get through the toughest point in my life, sitting in solitary confinement 23 hours a day. So he's the person that connected me to my publisher. And now I've been on this journey telling others, in particular my friends, about writing a book, right? Because it's just been a special thing for me. And it's something that anybody can do if they feel like they're at that point in life to be able to do it. So that's that's the story. Um, I'm glad I didn't go with that publisher because it would have been a negative story about me right. being in jail and getting in trouble. This story is about my full life and all that I've been able to do past jail and what I think young people can learn from to help them, you know, make the best out of their life. Nice. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that you can approach a book. Mm -hmm. um, and some people don't, a lot of people will ask me, you know, why would you write a memoir? Why not write a biography? And what's the difference? So biography is usually written at like the end of someone's life. Yeah. You wrote a memoir, which is kind of a slice of your life. You could have also done a book about me mentorship or a book about leadership or a book about some other um, poverty. What made you decide that it was your story? Or this are this the stories, like not just your story, but all these other people's stories that you wanted. You, because you taught a lot of lessons as a part of the book, but you did it through the telling of the stories. What what kind of drove that decision? So, so I've learned early in my career <laughs> the power of storytelling, right? Hmm. And I got comfortable with my story early in life. A lot of people aren't comfortable with their story. A lot of people aren't comfortable about things that have happened to them. Most people aren't going to sit up here and tell you they've been inside a chicken find it, right? Right. Especially a black man. That's not like a smart kind of thing in society. I could be judged. It could hurt my career. But it's been the exact opposite for me. Oh, wow. And I learned that from a guy named Bob Woodson. So Bob was my the first person I worked for after college. And Bob gave me a chance. He showed me about the nonprofit sector and how I could do this work. And Bob, I tell you, would always say, Kwame, get up here and tell your story. Like, well, I don't want to like, tell my story, man. Like, he was like, we'd be at the White House. Took me to the White House. We're literally sitting down with Bush Jr., me and him. No lies. Sitting there, just, just the three of us. And uh, Bush was like, hey, man, how'd you do it? And I said, man, I was blessed and lucky, right? And uh, he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, Kwame, what's your political party? And I'm sitting across with George Bush Jr., right? <laughs> and so I was kind of frozen in the moment. And he said, Kwame, it doesn't matter. He said, it doesn't matter your party. He said, always vote resumes. Ah. And I stuck with me. So yeah. Bob put me in environments where I would tell my story in front of the president or in front of the entire jail or in front of a college. You know, I've spoken in so many different places, but what Bob did was help me get comfortable with my story through repetition, right? So I can get up here and talk to you all about all my deep, deep and darkest secrets right now and feel fine because I also know through storytelling is that my vulnerability will connect with someone else's vulnerability. Mm -hmm. right and your story could be very different than mine but I kid you not the amount of people that have come up to me after I've spoken and told me something they've never told anybody wow. like some deep dark thing that happened 
Why not? I don't even know. You tell me about something happening in your childhood. <laughs> but we're human beings. We've been we've been a socialized through storytelling. That's how we that's how we connect with people. And if you want to be a leader in this world and you want to connect with people, you gotta be get a little vulnerable yeah. in that process. You gotta have enough confidence to get vulnerable. Right? I'm fine, I'm good. Like I can tell my story today and I'm fine, whatever the outcome is. Because Bob showed me how to use it as a tool to help people. Because your story can be someone's life. Mm -hmm. Your story can be someone's survival guide. So I'm always pushing people to get comfortable with their story because it's actually something that not only can free you and help you be the best version of yourself, but also can help somebody else who may be close to you or someone that just heard you talk in this room tonight that we're struggling with something. That's that's the power of, that's the true power of storytelling. Great, great. How many of you have, and I had this just happen the other day, is the reason it made me think about it. I was telling someone about, you know, something that I went through and they said, I needed to hear that. How many of you ever had that happen? Yeah, I needed to hear that. So, I mean, it, it really makes the connection um, with people. Yeah, so... How do you get past, because that's one of the things that I run into a lot with, with clients is getting past and becoming vulnerable, like getting past that fear that either no one wants to hear my story or I'm just afraid I, I'll be judged. You know, my parents are going to read this or, you know, somebody else is going to read it and they're going to judge me. How, I mean. Is there is there anything that you did? I know you mentioned repetition and and that helps, I'm sure. Um, but is there anything else that you did to get, kind of get past those those fears that we all have? I mean, we're we're humans. Well, you know, as a as a black man with you know ball head and a few muscles, like I'm judged every day. Like, you know, like I, I walk out the door, I walk out the door, and my job is to make people feel comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. I gotta make people feel comfortable. And what I've learned is, in particular through Bob, was to build my own confidence. Mm. Like young people yeah. struggle with confidence issues. But a mm. lot of black men in particular, we, we struggle with confidence issues that are we enough, especially in corporate America, right? We are standing out. Sometimes we're just one of, you know, a thousand people who don't look like us. So we struggle with confidence issues. I was blessed and lucky enough in life to have people who help build my confidence. Right. So that's the first step. You got to be confident in your own skin. You got to be confident in who you look at in the mirror. So since I have that confidence, I'm willing to take chances and take risks, not only for myself, but for other people, mm. right? And particularly young people. So that confidence is what helped me feel comfortable enough to take a risk and tell my story, take a risk and talk about being in jail. Right, those things are risky, especially for a black man to share those things. But those things have actually created a lane for my for me. I tell people all the time, your story can actually create a lane for you. Mm. You can create a lane for yourself because what's, what's what's important about your story is unique to you. Yeah. Right. No one else has your story, so you can use that story to create a lane for yourself and actually monetize. My whole life has been my story. My whole career has been my story. And I feel like other people can tap into that, maybe not the same way, but in some way to distinguish themselves. Because too often when you meet people, what do they start with? Their resume. Yeah. Where I went to college. What fraternity or sorority I'm in, right? People don't connect to that. Yeah. What you all gonna remember when y'all leave here tonight is that I was a bald head black guy in solitary confinement. That's what you're gonna remember. Cause you're gonna connect with that vulnerability. You're not gonna connect with where I went to college or what my title is. That's what we connect with. I love that. That's that's great advice. As you were writing the book, did you discover anything that you didn't know? Did you discover anything about yourself? Did you discover anything about um, the process? Did you hate the process? Did you love the process? I mean, what you know? What did you find out about it while you were doing that? Yeah. So you know, writing a book is very therapeutic, but it's also challenging. And the way my, my publisher started the process, because I didn't actually write the book, I had a ghostwriter, right? Okay. But there's a lot of ways to write a book. If you're not a good writer, don't try to sit down writing. <laughs> you might think you're a good writer, <laughs> but like you got to know how to write mm -hmm. and you got to know how to write in a way that people are going to read it. 
Because most people, what you probably know is when they first sit down and write their first book, they try to put four books in one book. Yes. You know, you got to sit down and put one book in one book and then write your second book. This is my first book. So the first question my publisher asked me, which I want you all to think about, he said, what is your first memory? Oh, wow. What is your first memory? That's a great question. And that's where we started. And we went from there. I couldn't get past five years old. I, I was just like, man, my first memory, right? But that's where we started the process of writing the book. I had to talk about my parents. I had to talk about my siblings. I had to talk about people in my life. And your version of the story may be a little different than their version of the story. Mm-hmm. So you got to get comfortable with that, especially when you talk about your parents, right? But you got to tell your version of the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody edit my book or look at my book when I was writing. Ah, okay. My parents saw the book when it was finished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure they didn't like everything I wrote in the book, right? I tried my best to tell this, my version of the story. Because guess what? They need to tell their version. They write their own book and tell their version of the story, <laughs> right? But that was my experience. And I encourage you, if you decide to sit down and write a book, tell your side of the story. And then if someone disagrees with that side or has a problem with that side, you know, let them write their own book and tell their side of the story. So, it, and also when I, when I wrote the book, I started really getting, you know, serious about therapy, right? That's just something we need to all talk more about. Because when I sit down and talk about being 17 for an hour and what that was like, afterwards, that was a lot on, right? So what they suggested is after you do a session, you know, talk to your therapist. Right. Because it took me a long time to really sit down and be serious about therapy. Right. Because I thought I was fine. You know, I'm walking through life. I'm like, wow, you know, you you were in jail for a whole year, man. Like, you know, you were in solitude, like all these things you've been through relationships, breakups, you know, kids. Like you got to really start to process these things with a professional can help you think about these things the right way. Because a book is going to pull all that out. You got to talk about all the stuff you've been through in your life. And you're going to relive that stuff in a different kind of way, because they're going to ask and pull questions out of you that you may not be comfortable with getting into. But to me, I, I tell you, it is an amazing, once you get on the other side of it and you get comfortable with it, it's, it's an amazing thing. So I love what you said about using therapy. Um, did you find it, the book in itself, because this is something that I, I hear from, did you find the writing the book itself had some therapeutic values as well? Yeah, it, yeah. it was because you had to uh, revisit who you really are. Yeah. Because as we get older in life, we forget who we were when we were a teenager. Right. You know, we forget who we were when we were first getting into the workforce. And we probably block some of that out. Right? Too. You, yeah. create, you start to create your own narrative of who you are. Yeah. And are you really being honest about who you really are? Yeah. And have you dealt with things you needed to deal with to be the best version of yourself? And a lot of times we don't want to deal with that stuff. Yeah. Like, why did I decide to get into robbing folks and selling drugs and carrying a gun? Like, why did I go to that? Why did Mm -hmm. I get there? What was that all about? Where'd that come from? You know, why do I have trust issues in relationships? Like, where did that, where did that come from? I had to really get honest with myself, right? And in that writing the book helped me revisit things and then look at those things. Okay, like I got chapters on different parts of my life. Mm Now, right? And what am I going to do about it? And how am I going to use those lessons to become a better version of myself? So it it was an amazing process. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you about advice, but I have two different, two different questions around that. One is with your story, when you, and you do, mentoring is your thing. I mean, so when you're faced with um, a young person, a young man, young woman, who you see going, making some of the decisions that you made, going down some of the some of the paths that you took. What is what is some of the advice that you that you give them to help? I know you can't. One piece of advice doesn't turn everything around, but but I mean, what what are some of the the insights that you share? With yeah, that? so I was speaking at a church recently, and I was talking to the pastor, and I was saying to the pastor that you know. Young people don't go to church because they don't want to hear a sermon. They want to see a sermon, right? 
So we are all living sermons, tangible, living, walking examples of what success looks like. Mm -hmm. So what I do with young people is I just try to give them an example of what it could look like. And I think we're all seed planters. Some things are going to stick, some things are not going to stick. But what I've learned with young people is you just got to pour into them and give them real examples of hope. And that's why I came up with the title of my book. Like hope to me is the most powerful word. Some people may say faith, hope, same thing. But for me, hope is like the biggest thing for young people. Like I got the quote, actually the right, the title of the book was the hardest part for me. Oh, okay. Coming up with the title. The, the writing was not that bad. The title was hard, but I got, uh, I came across an Oprah Winfrey quote. And she had a quote where she talked about that mentors bring hope that is inside of us out. So that's how I came up with the hope inside is the title of my book, right? And I truly believe that, that young people in Atlanta, you go five miles from here, west side, south side of Atlanta, it is a totally different world than what we're sitting here right now in these nice chairs, yeah. you know, drinking nice cocktails. And these pe- young people are growing up in environments that set up a number of barriers in front of them. Before they even walk out the door, they got food issues, housing issues, mental health, drug issues. They got to clear all these, these barriers just to even make it to the front door of the school. So the reality is some of these things may not ever change. Atlanta, the home, the home of Martin Luther King, home of the civil rights movement, home of HBCUs, the home of big business, small business, airport, the best fried chicken I've ever had, right? <laughs> also has the most poverty for black and brown folks than any place in the, in the country. And I still haven't figured that out. My best answer to that is, because I look around this room, I see black folks of excellence. I, got, I see my friends in here, y'all are leaders in different spaces. But what I've learned about Atlanta and just in general in doing this work is that in America, we got a problem with people who live in poverty. And we think everybody in poverty is poor. See, poor is a mindset. Poverty is a classification. But we glump them all together. Right? And we don't treat people in poverty the right way. Because we don't want them biased, right? We were having a conversation. I think Mark Fisher, remember, we were talking about the martyr not running to Alpharetta, where we live. Because wealthy white folks, and I also found out my friends didn't want it martyr running to Alpharetta. Either. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. <laughs> I found that in our conversation. But but if you think about it, the martyr doesn't run the Alpharetta because, well, yes, wealthy white folks don't want the, the martyr running the Alpharetta because they don't want people who are in, that are poor, who are actually people in poverty, most of them want a better chance at life to be near them. But what's also true about that is the martyr doesn't run outside of 285 up Cascade because mm-hmm. wealthy black folks didn't want people who live in poverty close to them. So the problem we have as a country is poverty, but more importantly, how we treat people in poverty. Because we think everybody in poverty is poor. Guess what? I know poor, I got poor people in my family. You give them money, you help them out, they still gonna make bad decisions, (laughs) right? But I guarantee you, if you go to West side of Atlanta, South side of Atlanta, there are parents, there are moms, single moms who have figured it out in spite of, who work at Walmart, got multiple jobs, but are putting their kids in college. But guess what? We study failure as a country. So all we want to talk about is all the bad stuff that's happening south side, west side of the land. If we treat people in poverty the way we should, to just give them a hand up, not a hand out, and not put them all in the bucket of poor, I think we'd be in a much better place as a country. And there are a lot of young people who just need to see that hope is, is possible, that, that Kwame was able to do it. But he figured it out somehow. Because the reality is some of their situations may not change, their parents may not change, their neighborhood may not change. But I've seen young people push through the toughest situations if they were hopeful, mm-hmm. if they had a little glimmer of hope that there's a better life on the other side, they push through and they're able to make it. And that's why mentorship is so important because all of you all represent hope for young people. Your story represents hope for young people. And we gotta get more comfortable with telling young people how we did it and giving them that roadmap and how they can do it too. I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of went. No, kind of went it was, I was ready. This is my second drink, so I'm kind of going. Let's keep going. I forgot what the question was. Let's go to Kevin. Oh man, let's. <laughs> All right. So my last question before we open it up for Q and A is: 
we had a lot of people in this room who said they've got a book in them. They want to write a book. Maybe a couple have said no. Um, <laughs> what, what advice would you give someone who's kind of in that very beginning? I think I've got a book in me. I, you know, what advice would you give to those people? It may not be today and it, it may take some time to get there. Right. But I think every leader should write a book at some point mm -hmm. in their journey. I think every leader should mentor somebody, not just somebody within your office. I think everybody should mentor young people at some point in life. You know, none of us got to this room without a mentor, right? Okay. If someone got to this room without a mentor, we need to get a sample of your blood. <laughs> none of us got to this room without a mentor. I had multiple, many people. And it's our responsibility as, as adults to defend the potential of young people. Writing the book, again, is... The best business card you ever had mm. is validation and is legacy. This is something your kids will build, your grandchildren, your great great grandchildren will be able to pick this up at some point and say, Guess what? This is part of my legacy. And we all got a book in us. We all got a story. We all got something we can teach. If you're a leader, you can teach somebody about something. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. you, we all work hard every day doing whatever job it is. Why not take those lessons that you've learned in your professional life? and mirror it with a, a part of your story. That's what I did. I did my, my story and I did life lessons that I've learned and things that I can teach people and put it out there. You got, you can help people out. That's what you do. You help That's people write I books. Should, yeah. You know, I have yeah. connections if you all want to figure out a way mm -hmm. to write a book at some point. But um, outside of writing a book, my message would be to you all as leaders is to get comfortable with your story. Not for other people, but you will never be the best leader you can be without being comfortable with your story. You could be, successful right you can have a job a title but i want to i'm talking about great i want to be great like i'm talking about making history like that's what i push for i don't push for just being successful i push for being great and i don't think you can be great you can be successful you can make money you can have a job but you can't be great until you get comfortable with who you are mm. and all of who you are yeah that's great advice yeah yeah. All right. So, anybody have any questions? Cheryl? So, can you kind of talk us through um, said you were 17 in solitary confinement and you graduated from college? So, like, what happened in between? How did you do that? Do you credit with that? I mean, graduate from college is fantastic solitary confinement. So I'm just curious how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so, you, let me repeat the question yeah. so we can get it on the podcast. So the question is, he talked about being in solitary confinement at 17, and then he talked about graduating from college. So they're asking what kind of happened in between. How did he, how did he get there? So that, that's why I have the book here. For <laughs> right answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, I've been blessed to be in jail. I'm gonna say I've been blessed. I, I found my passion in jail. You know, a lot, a lot of leaders still have not found their passion. I was talking to this C-suite guy from Coca-Cola, about to retire, never found his cash. Mm -hmm. Never found it. So I was blessed to find my passion through Anthony and Shane and Tony, all these young men that I met. Right? That's where I found my passion. But from there, college went to Hampton University. And then I met Bob and I went up to DC, started working in DC. And I was in DC for 15 years. And I came to Atlanta eight years ago. So I've been exclusively focused on youth development my whole career. Again, I think you got to find what? Your passion? You got to find your superpower or superpower worthy. We all got it. I just find too many leaders that haven't been able to figure out their passion or their superpowers, but also how do you marry them together? Right? Most people never figure that out. I know my superpower is connecting with people. I'm comfortable in the suites and in the streets. We're just talking about that. I'm comfortable in both. Fine. I can take this suit off right now, put a hoodie on, and go. So I'll be. I'm good. I go talk to the water. I'm good in both environments. Not a, not a lot of people can be, can do that. So I took my superpower, and I took my passion, and I married them together, and I monetized. 
that's like the, that's the cheat code in life. That, that's like the top top. And I'm still working on it. But if you can find your passion and you can figure out what you're good at and bring them together and then monetize it. When you look at any celebrity, any anybody you look up to, I don't care who it is. They figured out that cheat code. That that is the cheat code. If you can figure that out. And I just meet too many leaders who have not figured that out and aren't willing to try to take the time to figure yeah. it out because they're so focused on a title and a promotion. Like, come on. Like, when you figure that out, I'm talking about endless opportunities. It is, the, it is a whole nother level of this game. And when you listen to people that you follow and you look at in life, you are successful at the ultimate top, top levels. They've been able to figure those things out. So I encourage you, if you don't know your passion, figure that out. And typically, it's already inside you. It's already there. It's what you dream about. It's what you talk about. It's what people say about you. That's where you find your passion. Like Albert Einstein said, you know what? Like your, your, your imagination is everything. Like what does that really mean? That means this cup, this microphone was someone's imagination at some point, huh? right? He also has a quote where he talks about that your imagination is a preview to your future. It's like a movie, a little trailer, right? Isn't that pretty cool? Like your, your, your imagination is a preview of your future. If you can understand that concept, that means what you dream about is your future. But are you going to go after it? But are you going to pursue it or say, you know what, I'm going to be this, this title in this company? And maybe that's what your imagination is. Maybe yeah. that's what you're thinking about. Yeah. Again, I didn't answer your question. But let me. Uh, what, what was what was the question? <laughs> well, the answer was read the book. <laughs> it was a good. It was a good answer to whatever the question was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you are on your code on your seats. That's what the answer is. <laughs> well, me and Cheryl just had, had a talk, and Cheryl literally, I met her at an event and a connected Anna connected us, and she's offered to support us at Big Brother Big Sisters. So thank you, Cheryl, for all the work awesome. that you do in the community. Yeah. I love it. I love it. What other questions do you have? Okay. So hadn't thought about this until you just said, but once that happens for you or happens more globally, when passion and purpose meet, what do you think is the most rewarding part about that? Because you said you were able to monetize it, but I know you well enough to know I don't think that's probably yeah. the most satisfying part. Yeah. So the question is, once you have your passion and your purpose and they and they come together, um, what is what is the reward? What is the most rewarding part for you? For me, the reward is young people going to their club. Mm -hmm. For me, like we have a graduation every year where we graduate hundreds of kids who made it out of high school. And I talked about poverty, right? The fastest way out of poverty is what? High school diploma. Mm -hmm. High school diploma is the fastest way out. It's the starting point, right? That's not the end. But if mm -hmm. you study poverty the way I do, look at all the data, the research shows the fastest way out is a high school diploma. So for me, my goal has been to help kids graduate high school. That's my lane. I'm college. That's on you. Like, I'm done. Like I, my lane is high school graduation, and I've been laser focused on that lane. If I can help you get out of high school, you got a shot. Yeah. You at least got a shot. There need to be people to come in and help them get out of college and get a job and do all the other stuff they got to do. Pay their taxes, stay out of trouble. My lane is high school graduation. Yeah. And I've been able to figure out my passion and my purpose, and my lane has said to me, "Okay, Kwame, your best bet." at getting a Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. <laughs> and I said it, listen, y'all gotta think big, man. You can't think, I literally have on my vision board a Nobel Peace Prize. Wow, that's awesome. I do, like, I made history already. I, I took my SATs in jail. I was the first kid to ever take my SATs behind bars. Wow. I made history and I didn't even plan on doing it that way. And the way it happened is crazy. I know we probably get into the end of it, but I gotta tell this story. So, you know, I'm doing my schoolwork in jail. I'm the nerd of the jail. I got books in my in my cell and all this mm -hmm. stuff. I'm doing my schoolwork behind bars because 
I had people believe in me and say, you know, Kwame, you could get out and still get a college scholarship to college. You could still run track in college, even though I made these bad decisions. So I'm doing my schoolwork. I've got a plan in place. I get out, stay out of trouble. I can still make it to college. But I had to take my SATs. And at those days, you had to pass your SATs to get an NCAA track to get a scholarship. So I found out where I was. There was an opportunity called a furlough. When you get two months before you go home, you can apply for a furlough to go home for 24 hours. Right? So if you see people outside cleaning on the highways or work police, those are all kind of forms of furloughs in jail. But in where I was housed, they, you could take this furlough and go home for 24 hours and come back. And most guys I knew, they'd go home for 24 hours, get drunk and high, party, and then they'll sleep for the next two months and then go home and be released from jail. So I went to the jail. I said, you know what? I, wanted, I don't need 24 hours. I just need eight hours to go take my SATs. They denied it. Mm. They said I was a threat to society. I said, that's pretty interesting. I said, I'm trying to get my life back. You know what? I'm trying to go to college. I got Hampton Birds going to give me a shot. And I'm a threat to society. That's what they call it. And this was two months before you two were? Two months before I was about to be released. Oh, wow. So that was going to be the title of my book. But my post was like, yeah, it's a little hard. You know, you might have to <laughs> so, like, I get where you're going. I still, uh, you know what I'm saying? So the whole decides a better title. So I go back to my cell. I'm upset because I'm doing my work. I'm trying to do the right thing. And I got Shank and Anthony, all these guys who get in trouble, get in fights. They're not doing the right thing at all. Mm-hmm. And Shank, that's his name, Shank. I don't know his real name. Shank was a blood leader, uh, had a real tough life, right? Been in and out of prison his whole entire adult life. And we met as enemies because we from different sides of town. And when I got in jail, you know, Shank challenged me to a fight, right? Mm-hmm. And where I was, the way you fight in jail, if you don't want to go to a hole, is you fight in an empty cell so you don't get caught. So you go in an empty cell, you have a fight, and whoever wins walks out. And Shank's not here, so I'm going to say I won the fight, right? So, <laughs> so that, and Shank's a big, like, you know, his name was Shank for a reason. He's a, he's a pretty tough guy. So I kid you not, right? And that's why I do the work that I do. So I go back to myself, read them up the booklet that I had on the SAT board. And there was a section in there for students who are disabled. And if you're disabled, they will administer the test. They'll bring the test to you. Mm. Right? So I wrote a letter to the SAT commission. I said, listen, I'm disabled. I'm not saying where I'm at. I just can't make it to a test site. <laughs> <laughs> and they approved it. Wow. So the, de- the day of my test comes, and we're like, this is crazy. They're, they're actually going to bring the test so I can take SATs in jail. So when I talk to young people, I'm like, y'all complain about going to school and taking it. Don't, I don't want to hear no complaints right. about going to school. I took my SATs. I did my whole senior year behind bars on my own, homework and all, no help from teachers. So the, the day of my test, they do a, a shakedown of my unit. Shakedown is when they come in and take everything out of cells and all that stuff. They had never done that before in the eight months at that time that I'd been there. And I'm like, something's up, right? Why are they doing this? So they come in my cell, they search my shell, they see nothing but test, textbooks and all this stuff. And one of the guard comes out and says, with a cigarette, he's like, Kwame, is this yours? I'm like, these guys are trying to mess me up because they know if I have contraband, I got to go to a hole for 10 minutes, right? <laughs> this, is how, this, this is what you don't know about the criminal justice system and how it works. I'm a... Doing my schoolwork, got both my parents. What do you think they do with shakes and anything's of the world? They're throwaways. So Shank, who was next door to me, comes to my cell and he takes the blame for that signal. Wow. And he goes to the hole for 10 days for me. Wow. And we're from different parts of town. We met as enemies, but he believed in me when he didn't believe in himself. Mm-hmm. Right? So I took my SATs and became the first kid ever in the United States of America to take SATs while incarcerated. And now other kids can do that, not because of me, but other kids can do that because of Shank. Um, And those are stories that you'll never hear about what happens behind those those walls. Because there are thousands of Shanks around this country. And just imagine what could a kind of person Shank could have been to your question, that's what I look forward to is when someone that could have made the mistakes that Shane doesn't make those mistakes and is able to 
you know, achieve the things that I'm able to achieve. That's that's why I do the work that I do. And most people don't have that experience. So it's my responsibility to educate you all on what really goes on in community, what really goes on behind these walls, because it's much different than what you see on TV. And I kid you not, the water boys you see on these corners, you may not like it. I don't think it's the right thing for them to do. They need to do something different with their talent. They're entrepreneurs. And we're trying to help them with that. But you got to open your eyes, folks. And we got to get closer and help people. Because there are a lot of shanks that we could have helped. Yeah. That we could have defended their potential. And they could be sitting in a room like this with us right now. Yeah. All right. We're going to start to wrap it up. Um, if you have any other questions, please, you know, please connect with Kwame. Um, so two more questions I have for you, real short questions. What's next for you? I don't know. I'm out yet. Okay. Do you have another book? Do you have another book? Yeah, at some point. Okay. I'll definitely write another book at some point. Um, I don't know what it's about yet, but I'm clear on my passion and my mm -hmm. vision on what I want to do. I want to solve poverty. So I want to get a Nobel Peace Prize for poverty. Nice. Then write the next book. Okay. So I'm on the right track. I don't know how long it's going to take to get there. But again, I'm helping kids graduate high school yeah. right now through the work that I do. So I always want to be focused on that in some capacity. So that's what I'm going to continue to work on because I'm going to get that Nobel Peace Prize one of these days. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything you want the audience to know about? I want you all to know that I got 300 kids on a waiting list mm -hmm. for mentors. Mm -hmm. Got 100 girls, about 200 boys. So if you have some time and you want to defend the potential for somebody just like your potential was defended, I'd love to have you. And it's a year commitment, 12 hours a month, something we can all do. But we can't complain about the crime and violence in Atlanta. We can't complain about the issues in Atlanta. We can't complain about the water boys in Atlanta if we don't step up and do our part to mentor somebody. It don't got to be with me, but you should be pouring into some young person somewhere in some kind of way, because if not, we're not going to be able to make this country, this city, the best place it can be. So. Yeah. That's, that's what I ask everyone to do outside of getting the book. I got a few copies here for folks who want to get a copy. And then on the, U, the QR code, you can go on uh, Amazon as well to get a, get a copy of it as well. So, That's a good question. Yeah. Oh, so the question was, what is the best place to sign up for, for mentorship? Yep. So you go to Big Brothers Big Sisters, Metro Atlanta, click on Be a Big. And you start the process. There's an orientation. You learn about it. See if it's a good fit for you. If it's not a good fit for you, guess what? You, I'm sure you know one or two people that's a good fit. And we need everybody. I was talking to you earlier. You were a big sister in college. Mm -hmm. You've done it. And your little is now what? Doing well? And Yeah, she's 30. It's a and for those in the podcast audience, we will put that information on the show notes. So we'll put a link out there for how to um, how to get in touch and how to sign up. Um, last question. Do you have any books or authors that have really inspired you that you like to recommend? Yeah, I, re I read a lot of business books. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a book called Blue Ocean Strategies. I read a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how to create new market space. And it, it outlines companies like Google and Facebook and uh, Walmart, Starbucks. These companies created new market space. Mm. They didn't compete in the market. They created a whole new market space. So I don't read a lot of like inspirational stuff. I read a lot of business books. And okay. Yeah. The business stuff is just yeah. as important. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, well, thank you guys very much for participating. Thank you for your questions. Thank you, Kwame, for yeah. joining us. Um, I hope I've been saying your name right. Yeah. Well, you're saying Kwame, that's a rapper with a polka dot back, oh, in, back in the 90s. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. I go by my friends who are here all the way from Alfred, they call me Q, they call me Kwame. So it is fine. I go by all of it. All right, but it's, nice. it's Kwame. Kwame, I'm sorry. All right. So I, I, I have it right for the next time. All right. So thank you, everyone. And thank you to the listening audience. And until this next time, this has been The Author's Way.
Hey there. I am so glad that you you stayed uh, stuck around and listened through to this point. So that means you listened to the full podcast. So I'm hoping that you got some really great insights from the interview and and you know some some information about uh, you know what you're doing out in the world and um, you know what others are doing out in the world and. If you're interested in writing a book, I know Kwame talked about that quite a bit. If that's something you're interested in, please reach out to me and I'm happy to um, happy to help in any way I can. And for the offer, so I mentioned this in the beginning, for the offer, I just published my book. So, or, or, or the, the first book that I've published for myself, you know, I have a few client books that that I've published. So this is the first one that that's wholly mine. And it's a journal. So I wanted to provide the people that I work with and others out there a tool for writers. So one of the things I hear the most is, is people saying, you know, I'm not a writer. I don't know how to do that. And um, number one, I promise you, you're better than you think you are, because that's one of the things that we all tell ourselves that we're not good at. Um, but number two, sometimes it just comes with practice, just like learning to play the piano or learning to play golf or, you know, really learning to do anything. Writing is a learned skill. So if you have a tool that helps you practice and helps you become a better writer, I you know, I want that to be available to you. So this journal is a 90 day journal that gives you ideas and prompts and ways that that will help you to write. I, I know for myself, a lot of times I'll sit down and I say, oh, I'm going to write. I'm going to write today. I'm going to, or I'm going to write every day. I set a goal that I'm going to write every day. And then when I sit down to do it, I don't know what to write about. So this really gives you a tool to be able to not stare at a blank page of paper and not know what to do. So I hope you enjoy it. I, I would love for you to purchase it. And I have, a, I have a promo right now because the book was just released. I'm offering a promo. On, my, um, on the show notes, you'll have a link there. And it's www.execurite.com slash books. Um, like I said, it's also in the show notes. If you order your book from that site, you actually get two signed copies, one for yourself and one to gift to another writer in your life. So it gives you an opportunity to not only support your own writing goals, but to allow someone else to support theirs. So, you know, please go out and order the book. And, you know, my goal is just to try to get it in the most hands as I can. So, and I would also love it if you enjoy it to, to leave a review. And so um, I hope it's something that, that you'll take advantage of and that you enjoy. And I would love your feedback or I would love to for you to share some of your stories. So thank you very much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Happy writing, enjoy the process, and I will see you on the next podcast.